electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, investing billionaire, legendary hedge funder, and author of a new book, it's Omega Family Office chairman Leon Cooperman. I think we're going to wind up with a recession, but it's not here, it's not now. I think the recession will be caused by either QT or the Fed or the price of oil or the dollar where he's putting his money now, and how he's built his legacy as a lifelong capitalist. Made a lot of money, and I'm giving it all back. I'm concerned about the lefties. They don't get it. I have three terrific grandchildren, and I want them to understand the merits of capitalism, and I want them to be capitalists with a heart. Other stories that got us going today, Apple, AI, and restrictions in China. You can't mention XYZ, ABC, one, two, three. And Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav considers making an old streamer strategy new again. Could it be the rebirth of bundles? Remember those? Kind of like cable. Plus, managing financial stress. CNBC's Sharon Epperson on the do's and don'ts of financial planning. The majority of survey respondents, 56%, admit that they are not on track with their yearly 401k savings in order to retire comfortably. It's Thursday, September 7th, 2023, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is off today. Okay, here we are in the week. It's a Thursday, but we've only had a couple of days this week. Two days. It feels like half a week. Yeah, we're we're working our way right through this. If you want to check out what's been happening with the Treasury market, we have seen yields a little bit lower than we've seen to this point. The two-year is just below 5%, but just barely. It's sitting at 4.99. You've got the 10-year sitting at 4.27%. We're going to be talking with Lee Cooperman later this morning, and he's going to talk about how he thinks interest rates are actually going to be higher for longer, like the Fed's been saying. Um, And he's got some concerns about the idea of where the equities market is versus where yields are uh, on treasuries. It's still overvalued in his mind. Yeah, thinking overvalued just relative to the risk that you're taking and what you can get for some other things, too. So we'll talk to him about where he sees. He, He is buying some stocks. We'll talk about where he sees some opportunities. But overall, he does have some concerns still about the market. I think a lot of people have concerns. I think that's what's been right the last couple weeks. Yeah. Meantime, we got some new data from China overnight. Exports falling by 8.8% in August and imports fell by 7.3%. Both numbers weren't as bad as economists were expecting. Imports have now fallen every month in 2023 from, a period, from the year ago period, I should say, and exports have fallen every month since April. Meantime, on the same topic of China, Chinese tech giant Tech Tencent now launched its artificial intelligence model for business use today. It's also releasing an AI chatbot and integrating its AI model with existing products for video conferencing and social media. The release coming after new Chinese regulations on generative AI took effect on August 15th. There's always been a big question about uh, could China catch up with us when it comes to generative AI? 
given all of the sort of parameters and other things that they might want to put on their own generative AI, generative AI in terms of you know, what it can say, what it can't say, how it's supposed to think, how it's not supposed to think. So uh, we'll it's see how this right? competes or not uh, with, uh, with OpenAI and some of the, uh, the other American Google and, and the like. Yeah, it gets very complicated when you start thinking, okay, AI, go ahead, do generative stuff, but you can't mention X, Y, Z, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, And I don't six. know if it has to be that they say you can't mention these things or it says, I, I think it's trying to tell them almost like you can't think certain ways that would lead you to certain <laughs> things. Very complicated. All right, let's tell you about something that's a little bit simpler to understand this morning, and that would be Apple striking a deal with Arm Holdings to continue collaborating on chips through 2040 and beyond. That's according to an SEC filing by Arm. The SoftBank-owned company is set to debut on the Nasdaq Stock Exchange in the coming weeks at a total valuation that could be as high as $52 billion. And by the way, Apple, one of the many companies that has expressed some interest in potentially uh, taking part in buying some right. of those shares that are out there, too. $55 billion total valuation for them, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around that. So we'll see what happens. By the way, Apple shares are under some pressure. They're down another 2.7%. And speaking of what we've been watching with this, there is a new Bloomberg report that says that China plans to extend that reported restriction on iPhone use beyond just government agencies to a larger number of state-owned enterprises and other government-controlled organizations. That's been a big concern. Um, China is the second largest market for Apple. Right. It employs millions of people either directly or indirectly through Foxconn and the other places that they're, they're manufacturing operations there. If you can't bring it into the office with you, it's not just that they're not going to pay it. You can't have it in an office when you're working there for the government and you can't agencies. Have it. If it's extended, as Bloomberg is reported, um, that's going to be a, a concern about what it means down the road, if that is eventually extended to other places, whether it's to consumers and beyond, because the Chinese government but see, can't this do was the like this. You know, we would ask analysts about Apple. We'd ask about Apple. We'd ask about Starbucks. We'd ask about Tesla, we'd always, Nike. We'd always say, yeah. you, know, is there, you know, is there a risk and is it built into the stock? And, and everyone would say, well, you can't, you can't think about that or you don't know. This is it. It's happening. Yeah. And I think it is happening. And I, what I wonder is how far it goes. That, that, and that's the question. I think that's what investors are trying to figure out at this point, there too. Was is a, this a minor? Right. Because so far what you've seen with the TikTok bans in the United States hasn't had any impact right. on, and, and, and this has not been a federal ban, right. but some of the states that have banned them, like Montana, where we were talking yesterday, some of the state offices and places that they don't want them, that hasn't had any impact on TikTok's projected growth to this right. point. But obviously more people in China and the Chinese government can decide to do far more if it, right. if it chooses to. So the question it to me, to though, it. is there was always this idea that because Apple was such a large employer right. in China, of people. that somehow that they were, were sort of a protected class, and, right? and, that their and business would be Tim protected. Tim Cook has talked about how they have a very symbiotic relationship right. um, and but, a close relationship with China at this point, too. And so then the question is, but how close is the relationship if China's willing to, willing to do things like this? Similarly, by the way, with Starbucks, people would always say, Starbucks, you know, uh, they have all these employees, they're real, you know, what happens? Right. So I think there is a real risk that, that I, may, may not be in the market if you think that whatever you kind think of this I, Cold I don't know War is this, happening. Right, no, but I, it's even I, the, larger, cold, the, the right. larger thing that's happening between the United States and China. Yeah, a think. tricky line. Um, by the way, I think a fifth of, of Apple's revenue comes from China, too. Second biggest margin, right. second biggest market after the United States, and about a fifth of the revenue. Um, and, and that's what you kind of see playing out here, too. Meantime, the new media landscape uh, may look a little like the old one. Speaking at a Goldman Sachs conference yesterday, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav saying 
His company has had conversations with other companies in the content space about developing new, quote, bundles. Remember those? Uh, kind of like cable, to create a better consumer experience. He said those conversations have picked up in the last few months. He specifically noted recent examples of his Mac streaming network offering content from AMC Networks for a limited window. Zaslav also addressing the ongoing strikes in Hollywood. He said, quote, we need to do everything we can to get people back to work and people need to be compensated fairly and they need to feel valued. We are past Labor Day, so all of those conversations that we had about Labor Day, Labor Day, Labor Day, Labor Day. It's been more than 100 days, which uh, was the length of the last strike. You know, are we now into October? Are we into November? And then you, you start to think, even if the writer's deal is done in a month from now, I'm making this up, you still have set, you still have the actors, which uh, that's, uh, that's probably a 45, minimum, another 45-day kind of process. So you're, and then, you know, unfortunately in Hollywood, after Thanksgiving happens, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's not a lot that happens. So you really, all of a sudden, you've pushed everything to 24. And I think that's that got to be a little time. bit of the calculus, unless something were to happen very quickly right around now. Yeah. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, investing legend, hedge fund billionaire, and as you'll hear, a passionate capitalist, Leon Cooperman. I don't expect we see a new high in the market for a long time. His forecast for what's to come, plus which big tech stocks he's holding. I'm one of the few people who don't think interest rates are all that high. It's maybe because of my age and how long I've been around, but you know, prior to the 2008, the great financial crisis, the 10-year government bond yielded in line with nominal GDP. So if you have real growth of something around one and a half, one and three quarter percent, you have inflation bottoming out at three or four percent. Wouldn't be surprising to me if the uh, 10-year got to five and a half percent. That big interview right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Three, two, stand Andrew by. Up and Andrew, cue. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick. Joe is off today. All right, our next guest says that the S&P 500 may have exceeded his expectations, but uh, that the gains are a little bit deceptive in his words, and he's not all that impressed. Lee Cooperman recently published his memoir, by the way. It's called From the Bronx to Wall Street, My 50 Years in Finance and Philanthropy. It's a good read. You've got to check it out. He is, of course, the chairman and CEO of Omega Family Office, and he joins us right now in an exclusive interview on set to talk about all that's been happening in the markets. Lee, first of all, good morning. Good morning, and nice to be with you. It's nice to see you. It's been a while since we've gotten to see you in person. Yeah, well, you get lazy. Uh, you know, when I was not on set, I used to sit on the program with uh, my shorts on and my <laughs> slippers. 
<laughs> now I got to get dressed like an adult. <laughs> right. But, this is all uh, of us, uh, right? Back, back to work. Getting up at uh, 5.15 in the morning to get in here on time. We but nice to be you with you. It. Good seeing you. Good to see you, too. I do watch the program when I'm not on. Ah, we appreciate You guys do a very too. good job. Thank God you. God bless you. Um, Lee, we, we mentioned a couple of your comments. It, it has been a pretty phenomenal market. I think the S&P is up by about 16.3% for the year to Well, it's very deceptive, the S&P, because, you know, seven companies account for 73% of the gain. If you look at the other 27%, the other companies in the S&P 500, they're up 3 or 4%, which kind of fits what I think is going on. You know, I think simply uh, with all the issues out there, the S&P is trading at 19 or 20 times earnings, and I think that's just too high. The equity risk premium is very low, and I'm one of the few people that don't think interest rates are all that high. Now, it's maybe because of my age and how long I've been around, but you know, prior to the 2008, the great financial crisis, the 10-year government bond yielded in line with nominal GDP. And so if you have real growth of something around one and a half, one and three quarter percent, you have inflation bottoming out at three or four percent, it wouldn't be surprising to me if the uh, 10-year got to five and a half percent. It's currently around four percent. That's a minority wow. view. I don't think interest rates are too high. What's the sign that interest rates are too high? The stock market's been going up. You know, the market has a very speculative tone to it. There's no indication. And uh, Georgia, uh, their flesh estimate in GDP was like 5%. There's no in indication that the Fed is restrictive. And, and that means what for, for the broader economy? Well, uh, basically, ultimately, I think we're going to wind up with a recession. But it's not here. It's not now. And I think the recession will be caused by either QT or the Fed or the price of oil or uh, the dollar. And right now, everything is reasonably well behaved. So, you, you know, the market's up a lot this year, I think in part because of positioning. The sentiment coming into this year, I think, generally speaking, was negative. I respect his work, but Mike Wilson of uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, and I, I respect his work greatly, you know, he had a consensus view, which was we have a very difficult first half, followed by a better second half. And I think the market has a way of being very perverse I think it's going to be the reverse. So I think the strength of the market was very much tied to positioning. People were just very negative, and they're just caught up now with the market. Uh, secondly, uh, the price of oil declined, which was a positive for the economy, and the strong dollar reversed, which helped the economy as well. So you think the major averages are coming down in the second half? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, I wouldn't make this a you know, definitive comment, but I wouldn't be surprised if we've seen the high for the year already. Hmm. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think, my, my big issue, my big view is, and I've said this uh, about a year ago in the program, I have a view very much like the Pharaoh had a dream, and his <laughs> dream was interpreted by Joseph, it was in the Bible, and his dream was we're gonna have seven lean years following the seven fat years. I don't expect we see a new high in the market for a long time. Uh, we've had very bad policy mix, you know, and part of the strength this year has been very, you know, stable to fiscal policy, restrictive monetary policy. What do you do about all this? I'm a stock picker, you know. Uh, I, I expect, you know, I'm short the S&P above a certain level by through options, and I'm picking stocks that I like. My criteria mainly is if we think the stock is cheap, they either got to pay me to wait because I think I have to be patient in the market. And it's very, at 80 years of age, it's hard to be patient, right? But I got to be patient and that if stock is cheap, that they have the financial capacity to buy back stock. So there's two criteria I look at, uh, you know, uh, re the ability to repurchase stock, and it has to be cheap. So I, I, it's a very strange environment. I see NVIDIA, uh, and I, I missed that, I don't own it. NVIDIA announced a $25 billion repurchase program. 
Don't they know that stocks have memories? The stock was $150 this year. It's now knocking in the door of $500. Stock has tripled, more than tripled, and they've been doing $25 billion buyback. So, you know, you could say it's either very, they're very bullish in their business, which I'm sure they are, or, or they're just unrealistic. I mean, myself, I would rather see them pay a dividend uh, rather than buy back stock at 40 some odd times earnings. Even though it's not as tax advantageous? Yeah, well, you know, you want to buy back stock when it's cheap. And I think going from 150 to 500 is cheap. You know, I was around, none of you on the program are mentioning Cisco. In 2000, everybody was hot on the internet. And it's Cisco, Cisco, Cisco. Cisco was $80. It dropped 90% to $6 in the market break when technology went down. And Cisco, 23 uh, years later, is still below where it was in, 19, in, in 2000. So, you know, stocks have a memory. Uh, we, uh, capitalistic system, you know, high returns attract, you know, competition. And I assume, I'm not an expert in NVIDIA. If I was an expert, I would own it. But I would say, that, you know, it doesn't look to me like a smart move to buy back stock at this price. If the gains in the market are disingenuous just from the fact that it's only, like looking at the market, it's not telling you everything because it's only about seven stocks that have run up most of the gains. That means you've still got 493 stocks that haven't, risen as much. Is there a chance that those stocks take over and do well? And that means that maybe... Yeah, but generally that happens in a corrective market. Yeah. A change in leadership generally happens when the market is correcting. So if we're undergoing a change of leadership, and I'm not forecasting that right now. I own uh, Google. I own Microsoft. Uh, what do you think of Apple? You, you were always a Warren Buffett uh, man of sorts. He loves that company. I missed Apple. I was in an Apple. I sold it at less than half the current price, so I don't feel like an expert. But they're so ubiquitous, their product, and they're generating so much cash. Uh, you know, I would look for a level of, to correct to. I, I tend to be value-oriented, you know, and uh, low multiple-oriented, and I'm finding a lot of things to do. My biggest position, I'm up about 15% this year, luckily. Uh, I'm 20% in cash, 20% in a company called Legato, and 20% energy, and energy is just starting to work for me. It did not work up until now. It worked last year, not, not this year. It's interesting. Energy's starting to work. It's, it's starting to move up, what, since June, basically, right? Right. Exactly. I found over the years, when I buy something at three times cash flow with a 5% dividend yield, I get lucky. And that's my basic view. Um, the Gatto, you want to talk a little bit more about that, if that's such a huge Well, it's a, this, uh, you know, it's a very long story. Uh, uh, you know, I, I basically say when something sounds too good to be true, maybe it's not true. They have bonds, first lien bonds that mature on November 1 of this year. So November 1 is a couple months from now. They're trading around 34 cents on a dollar and they're worth par. And the government's behavior has been absolutely nothing short of disgraceful and it could be proven. So uh, about seven or eight years ago, the, the Department of Defense alleged that the spectrum interfered with the GPS system. And the FCC is responsible for setting spectrum policy in the country. They started the issue for five years. And after five years, they concluded by a five to zero bipartisan vote that the uh, uh, objections were, were, were inappropriate and wrong. Now the Department of Defense changes their story. They say they want the spectrum for national security purposes. I'm a good, I'm a loyal American. They can have it. They have to pay for it. They can't get it for nothing. The spectrum is worth $30 billion. The first lien bonds, which are 34 and worth par, basically, and mature in a few months, basically uh, uh, are worth par at a $5 billion valuation. You know? And so it's crazy what's going on. And I think it's a disgrace, the, the government 
has handled themselves the way they've handled it. There's no one involved in this thing that does not think uh, the, the GPS interference argument was false. And uh, the FCC basically said that. Yeah, it's been a long, ongoing issue. Yeah, you know, I have a paper uh, marked down, but I have not had a loss, but I haven't sold it. And I think one day these bars are going to be up 50 points. You know, that's my view, and I'm, I feel very strongly about it. If, 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 if I'm wrong, you don't want to be an investor in America because it means that the government can seize your property without compensation. I spoke to a senior person at Yale University in constitutional law, and he said nothing's impossible with the government, but right. it's highly unlikely. Right, right. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about higher interest rates. If you think we could be going to 5.5% on the 10-year, what, what does that mean uh, overall for the economy? Are there problems that are going to pop up? I, I don't think it, I think it's a sectoral issue. Uh, and you have to look at company by company. Some companies benefit from higher interest rates. A recent addition to my portfolio was a company called Fidelis Insurance. Mm -hmm. They have a portfolio of short-term paper, so they benefit from higher interest rates, the reinvestment rate. On the other hand, housing would be adversely affected. Um, but again, what about uh, potential problems in the banking sector? Do we see problems come up that the speed of interest rate over? rise is yeah. an issue, not not the magnitude. Okay. If you go back, you know, in the last bubbles. In 2000 and in 1972, interest rates were over 6% and multiples were higher than they are currently. So I don't, I don't think there's a problem with multiples on the market. Uh, I think that the issue, look, Powell kept interest rates far too low for too long and then it raised them very abruptly. And the speed of the rise would destabilize the system. Plus he was telling people the market was not overvalued given where interest rates were, but he never bothered telling anybody that interest rates didn't belong where they were. So I'm uh, highly critical of his performance. Uh, watching around the other issues that we've talked about, energy. We, we talked earlier this morning about how energy prices are back up, oil prices are back up because of what the Saudis are doing. Is that why you've invested in energy and believe in it? You think these prices are going to go up because of supply? Yeah, I would say we're not replacing reserves at the rate we're producing. We don't have an intelligent energy, energy policy. You know, we uh, are not encouraging the companies to produce more. And uh, I would say between China ultimately turning on, travel coming back, and a failure to replace reserves at the rate we're producing them, and uh, I also would uh, observe uh, the other uh, point, we have to re refill the strategic petroleum reserve. I think the prices will stay up. I don't think they'll get away on the upside because, you know, Saudis are reducing production, which indicates there's plenty of supply around if they were to increase production. So I think the price of oil will probably stay in the 80 to 90 zone, not go much higher. But 80 to 90, these companies are coining money. They're making a lot of money. I think the energy price, energy stocks are discounting $65 a barrel oil. So a big position for mine, and I've owned it for a while, Paramount Resources. They produce oil at $31 a barrel. They're growing production at 15% rate. They own $5 per share in other energy companies that don't add to their earnings. Uh, they have no debt and it has a 5, 5.5% five dividend yield, and they're generating cash well in excess of the dividend and capex. And that's something I want to own. And $2 billion of stock is owned by the CEO and his family. So they have a real incentive. There are plenty of things you can find to do in the market. I just have to be patient. I just, I'm short the S&P at a little bit higher levels, and I'm long a lot of individual stocks. What other stocks are you long? Uh, I would say that, well, I mentioned I own some Microsoft, which is expensive. Not cheap. I own Apollo in private equity. I own Citigroup. I own Cigna. 
uh, you know, enterprise products and energy transfer to high yielding. Here, I, I compare energy transfer, huge insider buying, stock yields over 9%. Why do I want to buy a government bond at 4% if I can get, you know, a 9 plus percent yield in something where I'm seeing management who is very smart buying the stock literally almost every day. You're seeing them, you know, Kelsey Warren owns over 10% of the company and he's no dummy. He's a smart guy. You said Microsoft you own, but it's expensive. Why do you own it? Because it doesn't Well, I pay taxes. Rules. I pay taxes. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking to make the government rich. So, you know, I'm not smart enough to go in and out. It's a, a secular grower and uh, I try to minimize my tax liability. But that means you're not buying more at the moment if you think No, I'm not buying more at the moment. Uh, I'm buying very little. The only things I'm buying uh, pay me to wait through a dividend and a meaningful stock repurchase program. Um, I guess my most recent purchase I'm looking here is uh, DT Midstream. Yields about 4.5%. Um, it's uh, in the oil and gas distribution business. An excellent, uh, well-run company that I think is potential takeover candidate. Can we ask you about your book while you're here too? Um, sure. From the Bronx to Wall Street, um, yeah. it talks about what you've done over your life. Yeah, well, you know, I've lived the American books. dream and I'm trying to convince people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and AOC that uh, don't move away from capitalism. Capitalism is the best system. I get choked up when I talk about it because basically, you know, my father came to America at the age of 12 as a plumber's apprentice, no education. I went to public school in the Bronx, high school in the Bronx, college in the Bronx, and then I got a short center at Columbia Business School which opened the door to Wall Street. I started my career in Wall Street the day after I got my MBA from Columbia. I had no money, I couldn't afford a vacation. I made a lot of money and I'm giving it all back. You're concerned about what, uh, what happens? I'm concerned about the lefties. They don't get it. You know, what made me write the book is I have three terrific grandchildren and I want them to understand the merits of capitalism. And I want them to be capitalists with a heart. And I want to see the system stay, you know, centrist, centrist. We have a very, very bad political system. I, I said this in the last time it was the program with a sense of humor, but basically it's true. In 1776, the population of the United States of America was two and a half million people. A million were women that didn't have the right to vote, and 250,000 were slaves that didn't have the right to vote. So a million, 250,000 voting population found Washington, you know, Jefferson, Hamilton, Madison, etc. We now have 330 million population, you know, a big percentage of which can vote, and we found Trump and Biden. You know, I have a minority view. I don't think Trump or Biden will be the candidates in 2024. I don't know if that's wishful thinking, but, uh, you know, I think both political parties are lacking. Who do you think will be? Somebody's got to come out of the woodwork. Like Clinton came out of the woodwork, Obama came out of the woodwork. Who could it be? I, I, I don't know. Right now, there's no what do you, Democrat. What do you think of this uh, idea, and I, I'm a card-carrying capitalist. I, I, I believe in it, but I worry or I'm concerned that you know you look at polls in the United States, and uh, most adults, I think it's 60 to 70 percent of adults with families and children, think that their children are not going to live a better life than they did. And I think that's very different than when you look at the polls probably in your generation at that time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What I do would you think about that perception? Well, the, the question really is, is there an alternative better? You know, we're, we're the tallest midget, you know, and, and, you know, or another way of saying it is in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. We're the one-eyed man. We're the best system. 
show me a system that's superior to capitalism. You know, the people, the, I wrote the book, I never finished the point, 30 to 40 percent of the young people today in the country think socialism preferred to capitalism. You know, I look at all these people coming up from South America looking, risking their lives to come to America. They get it. And I want my kids to get it. You think they do? Yeah, I think they do, yeah. Well, two, uh, my oldest granddaughter, she's a genius. She graduated Stanford Phi Beta Kappa, works for the Low Income Housing Coalition. She's very liberal, very, very concerned about her fellow man, woman. And I, I have debates with her, but I respect her greatly. I told her six months ago, there's a disgrace. They took a statue of Christopher Columbus and Thomas Jefferson down in New York. And they put a statue of George Floyd up in Newark, New Jersey, and, uh, who I consider a, a criminal. And her response, very intelligent response, was we're not celebrating George Floyd for who he is. We're celebrating George Floyd because he sparked the movement. And so it's my rejoinder to her. I said, you know, Winston Churchill said, if you're not liberal when you're 20, you don't have a heart. If you're not conservative when you're 30, you don't have a brain. She's 25, and she has a big brain. We'll see what happens. But, you know, uh, I, I'm a capitalist with a heart. You know, I wrote the book. All the proceeds go to charity. I'm not keeping a nickel for myself. And I just want to keep the system straight. You know, I've said in this program before, my hero is uh, Ken Langone, and uh, he's one of the great human beings out there. And uh, I have a similar philosophy to him. Well, Lee, we want to thank you uh, for being here, sharing your thoughts on the market, and more importantly, sharing your thoughts uh, on, on capitalism and philanthropy. It's something Thank you. Sorry for the little sentiment, but I get a little choked up. We so appreciate it. The book, again, is called From the Bronx to Wall Street. Yeah. And uh, If you buy it, all the proceeds go to charity. Lee, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. And we hope to see you again soon. Keep doing a good job you're doing. Thank you. It's great to see you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, how solid is your retirement savings plan? CNBC's Sharon Epperson unveils the results of a CNBC survey on personal finance. And if you're caught between all the shoulds of financial planning, you're not alone. The, all the thing that's really hurting people is trying to figure out how to deal with so many competing responsibilities that they have financially. So do I pay down credit card debt? Do I save for emergency fund? We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Most Americans will have to rely on their savings to fund their retirement, but financial stress may be making it hard for many workers to save. Senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson joins us now with findings from a new CNBC Your Money survey. What's going on? Good morning, Andrew. Well, a lot of people are financially stressed. Are you financially stressed? Well, you're not alone. A new CNBC Your Money survey finds 74% of Americans are stressed about their personal finances. That's up from 70% in our April survey. And 37% of respondents say they're very stressed. Among the top stressors are inflation, rising interest rates, and a lack of savings. Of the survey respondents who are employed, either full-time or part-time, 41% don't contribute to a 401k or company-based savings account, although the majority, 57%, do. And here's how they're funding that retirement plan. 
46% are contributing as much as they can afford, 24% are putting away as much as their employer will match, 11% are saving up to this year's employee contribution limit, and 8% just save the automatic default amount set by their employer's plan. Now, in 2023, you can save up to $22,500 for retirement in a 401k plan. And if you're 50 or older, you can put away an extra $7,500 in catch-up contributions for a total of $30,000. Some plans will even let you save more through after-tax 401k contributions. Yet the majority of survey respondents, 56%, admit that they are not on track with their yearly 401k savings in order to retire comfortably. You can read a lot more about the results from our Your Money survey on CNBC.com. Um, so let's just talk for a moment about how people are really investing their 401k money right now. What was really interesting is that most people don't really understand which way to go in terms of their investments because they don't know what the options are. About half of the respondents said that they had no idea what the investments what the investment options were, and the other half said they did. So that can Put a little wrinkle in but they didn't how you're know investing. What they, were investing in? they didn't know. They didn't know what the investment options were, so and they didn't how, know what they were investing. So, but then, how are they even in it? That's what I didn't understand. So they're in it because right. you're just putting money in, and maybe you never but the did default this. There's is some for people. The there, yeah, there's some people. I'm not right. anybody around this table per se, but that at one point early in their 401k just put money in, didn't realize that you had to actually pick the investments. So to, it's sitting in cash. So it sat in a money market account. Oh, that, no. That's just one example of one person who may be sitting at the table. But I see. But that's if you don't know what your investment options right. are, you're not Wait, automatically... You? <laughs> You're not automatically <laughs> defaulted into early in one's career before they were a personal finance right. correspondent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but now don't they don't default during the height of a market. The, they don't default into these age-based programs. Sometimes That's they what I sometimes you could, did. sometimes you can do that. Some plans are set up that way. Right. But some plans are requiring you to take action and say you want to be into that in that age-based plan or you want to be in you know, um, S&P 500 fund, or what are the different I, I, I shouldn't laugh because I don't know what I was invested in when I first started out out of school either. I, and it, I'm grateful that I had an employer that actually defaulted and put money aside yeah. and forced you to do it. You had yeah. to opt out, which is good. That's the good dummy-proof way of doing some of this stuff, especially when you're young and you don't know what you're getting into. It saves you um, because that compound interest is really important over time. Absolutely, but, um, absolutely. Yeah, well, this, I, this I was a rollover. I'm trying to make myself feel retire. better. This was a rollover over 401k from one employer to another but it's okay. and it was very early on yeah i get it i get but, it but you don't know you know i think i think the the all the thing that's really hurting people is trying to figure out how to deal with so many competing responsibilities that they have financially so do i pay down credit card debt do i save for emergency fund what should i do right. and most of the financial advisors that we talked to said just do the company match at least try to do that much but right. at this point, with credit card debt at 20% or higher on that interest yeah, you that you're paying, that you may want to just take a step right. back from the 401k and pay that off. And can we just say, by the way, and I, I don't know if it's this, you hate those plans as much as I do for the same reason. Because the higher rates they the, charge you. The fees. Yeah, the fees. The fees on the age programs are crazy. Crazy. It's like two and a half. Because they're basically like just putting you in the S&P 500 some for some percentage and then bonds in some other percentage yeah. based yeah. on your age. And then they're charging you. They charge you like 250 basis. Well, that's that why. That's why some advisors say, "Here's a, here's another idea. Why don't you just do the 401k to the company match, and then invest whatever else you would invest for your retirement savings on your own, either putting it in a Roth IRA, investing in a brokerage account. You 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 want that tax advantage, but on the other hand, you do have those fees. Yeah, that's that's. The thing Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, sure. And you're right. They hate it for the same reason you hate it. Okay. 
That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the highlights from that TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. And a request to you, our listeners, please leave us a comment either on Apple Podcasts or on X. We're at Squawk CNBC. Let us know what content you like, what you want more of. We read them and we want to know. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. And in the meantime, get commenting. We'll catch you on Friday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.